With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Ladies and gentlemen, this podcast is brought to you by BSO and ABF Creative. And is scheduled for one fall. And on the mic, we have the one and only Robert Latow. I got enemies, got a lot of enemies, got a lot of people trying to drain me of my energy. They trying to take the wave from your boy. Messing with your boy, better pray for your boy. It's Robert Latow. Keep that same energy podcast. Let's get to the opening bell. The great Biggie Smalls was asked, did he feel some sort of relief that his rival and former friend, Tupac Shakur, was killed? And Biggie said he wished death on nobody. And the reason why is that there's no coming back from that. Once the lights are turned off, that's it. They don't come back on. There's no second chances. This isn't like a video game where you can start over. You get one chance at life, and you have to make the most of it. And life doesn't go backwards. It always goes forward. So... From the time that you're born, you're on the clock, so to speak, as far as your time in this world. And the real issue is, you really never know. You don't know when you're going to clock out. And the problem is, when you do clock out, you won't know because you've already passed away. So it's an interesting concept of death. And I always took what Biggie said to heart. Is that you don't want to wish death on anyone. I've been getting a lot of questions since we were one of the first outlets to break the story about Kevin Samuels passing away. What I think about it. What do I think about what social media is saying about it? How are the reactions? Because there's definitely a lot of strong reactions. And instead of trying to tweet it out, I decided to do a podcast where hopefully you will take the time, listen to what I have to say. You don't have to agree. You can disagree. But I like to do it in this format, mainly because on social media, when you're typing, your point normally gets lost somewhere in the translation. So I want to start with this. I completely understand 
why some people, you feel nothing when they pass away. I don't think because someone dies that you have to be all of a sudden sorry that they passed away. Especially if they've done something to you to make you feel a certain type of way. Now, I'll get back to that in a minute because that's an important point. There are certain people that I know if they passed away today, I wouldn't bat an eye. Not at all. And like I said, I think there are situations where you feel a certain way about a particular person and they pass away. Maybe in the back of your mind, you think good riddance. The world's a better place. In the back of your mind. That's what you think. I think the problem is when you celebrate. I think that's really the line that you should really think about before you cross. And I don't know if you believe in karma, if you believe in good vibes, bad vibes, whatever it may be. Death is a tricky thing to make fun of. (laughs) Because once again, we're all on a ticking clock. You want to tempt fate? I think it's tacky to celebrate someone dying. (laughs) And the reason is, even if you don't like that person, right, one has to assume that that person has family, has friends, have people that are mourning, you know, for them. So the respectful thing to do, like your mama always told you, if you don't have anything to say positive, don't say anything at all. Celebrating death, that's tempting. That's tempting a lot of bad mojo. And I'm saying this as someone that does not have a strong opinion one way or the other about Kevin Samuels. As someone who can't tell you how you should feel about him. You didn't like him? That's fine. If you liked him, that's fine. You know, if his death, is, you don't really particularly feel the need to feel any type of sadness for it, that's perfectly fine too. But when you mock and, and joke and celebrate, that's a fine line. And I'll tell you why it's a particular fine line with Mr. Samuels. Remember what I said about if you want someone, someone passes away and you you want to spit on their grave, so to speak, because they've done something personally to you, right? And, of course, that's justifiable. Let's say someone, uh, you know, killed one of your family members. And then they died. Say someone assaulted you. And they died. You know. You know, there, there's a plethora of reasons why if someone was to pass away, you would celebrate that passing. You would be happy that they're no longer on this earth. They've done things personally to you that makes you feel that way. What's concerning to me is that with someone like Kevin Samuels, right, 
is he was just a guy on YouTube. He was just a guy that was giving his opinions on things. He was just a guy that would engage with people that wanted to engage with him. Call into his show or debate him on social media, whatever it may be. So, in a sense, the connect between Mr. Samuels and the people that are celebrating his death, it's a really far, the connection is not strong, (laughs) right? Because he hasn't done anything to you personally. He just said some words. And I feel like that's a real problem in a bigger, grander scheme of things. Is that how we letting individuals, and this goes beyond Mr. Samuels, how do we how do we go? How do we get to where individuals say words, not directly to us, but we had we call those words cause us to have such an emotional reaction to the point where if the person dies who said the words you want to celebrate the death you you see you understand what i'm saying it's 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 like and i'm not let me i don't want to i'm not like i said i don't want to wish death on anyone right uh so i'm not gonna say any names but let's say your favorite hot taker right in sports media pisses you, you know, you hate this person so much because he's always talking about your favorite player and he passed away. That make you happy? Is what he's saying about an individual that you may be a fan of, one person saying this would cause you so much hurt and anger and that the fact that if they died, you in turn would celebrate that? Why are we giving these individuals so much power? Now, I understand. People say, well, Mr. Samuels made money off uh, berating women, specifically black women. And, you know, he, he said some things about guys, too. But this is how he made his money, more or less. Made his money off the back. Of, of black women that he considered the ones that he didn't consider high value that his comments were misogynist and things of that nature and to me that's a fair point and once again you can't tell anyone how they want to take what someone is given some people may say what he was saying was had value to it other people may say that it has it was misogynistic right but once again, how in the world is one man on a YouTube channel has enough effect on every black woman in America? Do you understand what I'm saying here? Like, it's scary to me that people would have some strong reactions to influencers, right? In the, in the grand scheme of things, if we're just being totally honest, 
Kevin Samuels has nothing to do with your relationship. It has nothing to do if you're single, if you're married, if you're happy, if you have kids, you don't want to have kids. He's just a guy that's just giving his opinion. You know how many people out there just give opinions on everything? I guess all people do now. Why are you letting these people have so much control over you? It, this should simply have been a person passing away and you'd be like, hey, yeah. I didn't agree with the, a lot. If you didn't agree with what a lot the brother had to say, yeah, you know, but I, you know, I hope his family, I hope he's fine peace, hope his family fine peace. It's been as simple as that. Like, I don't, I guess what I don't understand is what are you so angry about? People are going to say stuff about you as an individual all the time. <laughs> People are going to say things about you as a race all the time, as a culture all the time, as a gender all the time. And it's not always going to be positive. Why are you letting them have this control over you? That you celebrate someone dying? Like That's, that's unusually scary. If someone that I just didn't like died, I okay. <laughs> like I wouldn't have an emotional reaction. I seen a guy make like thirty tweets in a thread, just talking to me. He did this and he did that, and he rots in hell, and that's a horrible life to live, and he's gonna be in hell, and da da da. Like thirty tweets. Why? Why you? You know, first off, it's. It's a little weird to do that while someone has just passed away. You didn't do it while they was living, but still, thirty tweets, this big ass thread. What are you, what, what are we talking about here? This is a guy. It's just a guy. And to go even de- a little deeper with this, but this because this concerns me as a people, and and I'm talking specifically about black people. We're never going to get to where we need to go if we have so much anger and hatred and infighting between ourselves. Because the oppressor uses that against us. They want us to be like this. They don't have to do anything. They can sit back and manipulate and move the chess pieces around and then watch us fight each other so we're not focused on doing better. It's why they flood drugs in the black community. It's why they flood guns in the black community. It's why the schools are worse in the black community. It's why, the, you know, the, the everything, everything in the black community is worse to get us to turn on ourselves. If you look at it from a broader view, there's no reason that a school in a black neighborhood should be any different than a school in a white neighborhood. It shouldn't, it's a school. (laughs) But they do that to get us to turn on ourselves. And too often, we fall into into the bait. We don't look at the greater, the bigger picture. We're short-sighted. 
We're looking to tear each other down while they sit back and laugh at it. They laugh at us. I think it's funny. You know how hard it is for me on a daily basis. I, I have been in media for almost what, 17 years now. More than a quarter of my life. I know everything that goes on in front and behind the scenes. I know which one of these guys are Uncle Tom's and what's going on. You know, you know how hard it is every day for me just to realize that if every day I just pointed out every bad thing or every suspect thing uh, that was happening in black media, that that wouldn't help anything. <laughs> you know, that wouldn't help me help the next person. Now, unfortunately, that wasn't afforded to me. <laughs> you know, I've held my tongue for a very long period of time. The reason why is, is you got to have a cold. And if the cold is, I'm going to try to help as many black people as I possibly can win, sometimes that means you got to hold your tongue. Sometimes that means you got to take the shots. You got to take the heat. You got to take the heat. I literally saw the National Association of Black Journalists try to get my funding pulled while they saw white media outlets doing 10 times worse things. But because those white media outlets fund their convention, I've seen, you know, the, the, the conversations are a little different. The press releases are a little different. Because, see, that's what it is. We tear each other apart. We don't think about the bigger picture. This is not about Kevin Samuels and if you agreed or disagreed with him or Dr. Umar or anybody, right? It's about how giddy we are as a people when someone fails or in this case dies and how we are allowing individuals to have this control over us to the point we're having these emotional reactions like really over the top emotional reactions to people just talking to people just talking if I don't like I really don't understand if 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 Kevin Samuel say well if you're 35 and you're not married you're leftovers right if you don't if you know that's not true why does that bother you <laughs> it's just a, some guy he was just a guy he'd been divorced twice he's living in an apartment he's sleeping with some nurse he's just a guy I don't understand why you give these people this power it really baffles my mind. He was just a guy. Here's the thing, when people talk and people give opinions, I learned this a long time ago. A couple of things, message versus messenger. That's, that's always the first thing. Because sometimes the messenger is bad, but the message is good. But I remember I was told when I was very, very young that no matter what someone is saying, you can parse through it and maybe find something that's beneficial to you. 
right? That don't mean you have to agree with 100%, 90%, 50%. It can be 10%. It can be 1%. It can be zero. But it doesn't matter. It's just how does that apply to you? If you're 35 and you got your stuff together, you have a healthy, happy, you know, life, and you got friends, and you got family, you got boyfriend, whatever it may be, why do you care what he thinks? You know, the people that succeed are the people that don't care what other people think. That's why they just say whatever they want to. We have to do better as a as a people. I feel like we're doing worse. I do. I do. I feel like we've always been oppressed and we've always been put in positions that are hard to get out of. I talked about it on my last podcast. Well, maybe it was a couple of podcasts ago. I think it was the last podcast. I was in the process of buying a house, right? And I can understand how it's sometimes impossible for for black people. You know why? Because we start normally with nothing. The white people start, you know, kids, like, you know, they got families and generational, not even generational wealth. You don't need, like, millions of dollars, okay? But if your father or grandfather, when you turn 18 years old, can put $50,000 in a checking account for you, the chances of your life being successful that the person that just had zero in his checking account when he left college or whatever it may be, that's a big difference. If your parents can help you with a down payment on a house when you are a young couple, a young family, that's immensely helpful. Think, just think about it like this. Let's say you, you, you buy a house $500,000, right? You have to put 20% down. That's $100,000, right? And your parents front that for you, okay? Now your mortgage is, I mean, your, your total ownership, your mortgage is a $400,000 loan, right? You move in that house now with your, your, your wife and your kid because your parents don't help you, right? But now you have an asset right now, at, right when you move in, that's worth $100,000 in equity that you didn't pay, your parents paid as a gift. Now, if you sell that house in two, three, four, five years and the property goes up to $800,000 and by that time your mortgage is only $300,000, you made a half million dollar profit on that house. You didn't put nothing down. You, you, it's, it's, people don't really understand. We got to stop fighting with each other. We got to stop putting each other down. We have to start looking at the bigger picture. They, we're making it easy on the people that don't want us to rise up. We're letting individuals that are just talking control how we feel about ourselves. How in the how in the world are you letting Kevin Samuels rest in peace? But how are you letting him dictate how you feel about yourself? That's insane to me. Somebody you've never met, someone you've never talked to, someone that you don't know anything about, someone that's sitting in an office talking on YouTube in the middle of the night. 
How are you letting him dictate how you feel about yourself to the point where when he dies, you feel the need to celebrate? You feel the need to write 30 tweets, write long Instagram posts. How have we got to this point? The people that matter in your life are your friends, your family, people that are close to you, people that are positive toward you, people that encourage you, people that want you to do better, people that help you do better. That's where your self-esteem should come from. Not Kevin Samuels, not Dr. Umar, not Fox News, not ESPN. We got we got to do better. We simply got to do better. So I, I like I just I feel very blessed, okay? And I've always felt blessed, right? Because at a certain point in life, if you can get to that point where you just realize that outside noise doesn't matter. People are gonna like you, people are gonna dislike you. Who cares? What what does your family think? What do I care about? So, some some guy, I am for you, some guy wrote a whole thing. You know, he's, this guy's, you know, he's corny and da 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 and he must have problems getting women and and da 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 and this and that. He's corny, he's a lame, blah, blah, blah. Whole little little diatribe about me, right? But I'm married. <laughs> I have family. I have a house. You know, I have like like neighbors. It's like June Cleaver. I'm like Ward. This guy is 45 years old, still going to the club. Who's the real lame? Who's the real cornball? My bank account looks lovely. I got investments. Credit looks good. So does it doesn't matter to me what so you don't know me. You don't know my life. You don't know what my portfolio looks like. <laughs> you making your assessment over what someone on Twitter said? <laughs> what somebody that you don't know how their life is, but I do. <laughs> you don't know what's really going on with them, but I do. <laughs> I know why they're angry. We got to do better. We got to do better. Like I said, I, I, I don't know the brother, Kevin Samuels, that well. I would see the clips, and I see the back and forth, but it's no different than the 100 other people that people go back and forth with. I don't wish death on anyone. I heard that his mother was the, had to be, you know, contacted. No mother should bury a child. I wouldn't wish that on anyone. I don't know if he has any other family, siblings, or things like that. Wouldn't wish it on anyone. You know, he found a lane. It's a lane that a lot of people disagreed with. It's a lot of a lane that some people did agree with. But let me just point this out. It's the last thing I have to say about it. This is, very, this is the last thing I'm going to say about it. I'll move on to the next topic, but this is very, very important. This is very, 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 very important. There can't be a Kevin Samuels 
without an audience. I'm going to say that again because for whatever the next situation comes up like this. There can't be a Kevin Samuels without an audience, meaning there has to be someone listening. There has to be someone paying attention. There has to be someone commenting. There has to be someone. He may have been hated, but he wasn't hated enough. They had 1.4 whatever million subscribers. And that, that goes for all of these people that you guys unfortunately let 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 you feel a certain way. Control your self-esteem. The only reason they have the power to do that is because you allow it. Here's a piece of advice. If you don't like somebody, you don't like what they're saying, you don't like what they're doing, don't engage. And you know something? Then you won't care what happens to them because you won't be paying any attention. Just think about that. What in the blue hell? Sage Steel. Oh, my God. Sage Steel is back in the news. She's suing ESPN because she says they uh, <laughs> they violated her free speech uh, talking about the vaccine and talking about Kaepernick and basically talking bad about uh, the company. Uh, before we get into Sage, let, let's uh, make sure that we understand why she's doing this. Uh, her last contract that she signed uh, she had to take a massive pay cut. Her white husband uh, divorced her and is getting uh, alimony and possibly child support. So her her checks are a little lighter than what they used to be. Uh, when her next contract comes up, it's it's quite possible that they won't re-sign her um, at all. And so she probably is looking for a payday. You know, she's she you know she's like. Basically, she wants to fight Canelo Alvarez. <laughs> She's looking for a payday before. Um, if Sage wanted to, you know, lean into, you know, her white side, this is, I guess, how you do it. This is a very Karen-esque uh, maneuver on her part. Are we, are we going to ever acknowledge that almost every person that I told you over the years was a trash person has turned out to be trash. I mean, I'm not trying to brag or anything. I'm just saying. Even people that, when I told them they was trash, and people, they pushed back on it, they ended up being trash. Whitlock, uh, Dabo Sweeney. Dabo Sweeney, brother, dabbles in kitty porn. But you know, God bless. <laughs> I told you about Sage way, way back in the day. I told you about Will Kane. I told you about all these guys. <laughs> yeah, but Sage, uh, Sage didn't have no problem when they got rid of Jamel Hill. She said, uh, you know, that was the hill she wanted to die on. No, no pun intended. But, you know, Sage thinks she's white. She thinks she's white, and then she gets upset that none of the black people want to deal with her. That's the other thing that people don't understand is that nobody likes Sage. 
I've, I, you know, if I say a certain thing about certain individuals, you know, others will pop up and say, hey, man, that's not right. Uh, that He's not a bad guy. She's not a bad woman. Nobody says that about Sage. Nobody comes to her defense. She's not like at ESPN, not by the staff, not by her coworkers. She's really a pariah. Somebody said she just go to Fox News, but I don't know because she's just an unlikable person. Like, even if you go to Fox News, you have to be likable to the people, the you know, the MAGA people over at Fox News. But she's just unlikable all the way around. And she's entitled. I like the way she tried to, you know, not let you guys know the white husband left. White husband just took off. He didn't like it either. So none of these people like Sage. White people, black people, nobody. She needs to go somewhere in the multiverse. <laughs> Maybe there's another version of Sage somewhere out there that people like. This one is not it. <laughs> it's crazy to me that she did this. They had all the masters. So, you know, it's a shock to me she's even working because she's just so unlikable. Doesn't bring anything to the broadcast. I get ESPN is kind of in a pickle, but it can't just fire. <laughs> You know, because she's, you know, she always raising a fuss. I'm not surprised. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not surprised. She should, uh, I don't know where she's going to end up. But wherever she ends up, I don't think it's going to work out. I mean, would you subscribe to a Sage Steel podcast? Like, there are people out there that say, hey, I want to hear Sage Steele talk for 20 minutes. I mean, I guess with Jay Cutler, yeah, that was really, you know, riveting. That was riveting media. That was riveting media. That's crazy. I can't believe Sage. Why is she even there if she hates it so much? Oh, she needs the money. She's hoping that ESPN cracks. Gives her a couple of million. Maybe she can ride off in the sunset maybe pay off her husband. It'd be crazy if her husband was like with a black woman right now. I hope he is. Or maybe he should be with a white woman. Either way, it's, it would be funny. Either way. <laughs> yeah, it would be funny either way. <laughs> Poor Sage. I'm sure she's letting someone touch her hair to make her, her feel better right now. The Injustice League. Remember when Tiger Woods' wife, Elith, uh, chased him with a 9-9 and made him crash his, his SUV? And when the, the police came and everybody came, that's when it was all exposed that he had been cheating on her and uh, he liked the blondes and he liked the porn stars and he had like the, the medication, the drug problem and everything. Uh, they never talked about the domestic abuse of her, you know, trying to kill her with a with a three-yard, you know, a wood, nine wood. But remember that? Remember it was a big, 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 big story. So I mean, a big story. The reason it was a big story is because Tiger Woods had did something that you see every so often um, in this country. He became a 
a black man that, that white people accepted. You understand what I'm saying? He became a black, he's a black man. Forget what he says about him being black and Asian or whatever that was. He, he was a black man that white society has accepted. You know, you, you, you see that every, not a lot, but you see it often. You see it every once in a while. You know, like Michael Jordan. And that's not saying like Michael Jordan, you know, was like a sellout or anything. I'm just saying that there are certain black athletes, black entertainers that, you know how we, how black people always say, you know, invited to the cookout. There are certain black athletes, black entertainers that the white people invite to their bar mitzvah or whatever. Like Will Smith was one of them. And, and you know, and, and to, you know, Jada jacked them all up. That's that's the one that's the one thing about white people in the bar mitzvah, right? Like they invite you up until they deem you start acting black again, then they kick your ass out. So that's what happened with Tiger Woods. Tiger Woods, who single handedly changed the the way golfers get paid, TV network contracts for golf. He basically, and still is to this day, to this day is the lifeblood of of the PGA. If Tiger's in an event, the ratings are bigger. The coverage is bigger. Everything's bigger if Tiger's in it. Even at his more advanced age now. But when he got caught cheating on his white wife, the nanny, they turned on him. They turned on him. It was so interesting to me because athletes cheat on their wives and girlfriends all the time. But, see, that's okay unless they accept you into their world. Then you got to be the perfect black. You see what I'm saying? You got to be the perfect black when they accept you into that world. Can't make any mistakes. Can't cheat with porn stars. Even though they were doing it too. They had dumbass Tiger up there apologizing at the press conference, going to, they went to sex camp, a sex rehab. I'll tell you something about sex. There's a point to all this I'm getting to, but I, I don't believe in sex rehab. I really don't. I understand that there are like a lot of phobias and a lot of things you need rehab for. I don't think sex is one of them. I, I don't think sex is, is, is one of them. I think if you're famous, you probably have sex with a lot of people. That doesn't make you a sexaholic. It just it makes you, it's, it's easy access. Look at, look at it like this. Look at it like this. Look at it like this. Here's an example for you, right? If you, had, you have access to water, right? So you drink it because you have access to it. You don't even think about it. You have water. If you're thirsty, you can get some water in your house. You get a bottle of water, you get it from the faucet. If you're thirsty, you can just get your water. Don't even think about it, right? Well, imagine women for famous people that's like water. When they want it, they just get it. Nobody goes to rehab for drinking too much water. Because, you know, drinking, you know, drinking water is not going to kill you. That's why I always say drink eight cups of water a day. It's not gonna kill you. Sex, having sex is not gonna kill you. 
well, they were saying Kevin Samuels, but that, that's another. That's, that's we're gonna stick to the we we'll do the conspiracy theories maybe at the end. <laughs> but the fact of the matter is, it had to. They had Tiger saying that he blackened these or whatever, whatever you saying, or Taiwan and Nada, Dada, whatever. And they had him in sex rehab and apologizing to all these white people and all of this stuff. And I kept thinking to myself, I said, self, uh, did Tiger Woods commit a crime here? Like, what exactly has Tiger Woods done? He's cheated, which 99% of athletes do. Not a big deal. Not something to have a press conference about. Not something that we need to go to sex rehab for. Nothing to do with your golf game. It's a personal issue. You watch a winning time about the Lakers? Magic was cheating like every other day. <laughs> no big deal. It's, it's, just, it's not a big deal. It's not a, not a big thing. <laughs> Athletes cheat. But they treated Tiger like he was a criminal. And, you know, I'll be honest, they have a lot of sympathy for Tiger because Tiger, you know, doesn't like to admit that he's black. But it's still, like, I thought about it. Like I said, man, that ain't right. All this man did is like his porn stars. What makes They don't make him no different than Shaq. <laughs> hey, what's, what, come on, what are we talking about here? And I mentioned that because I saw an interesting article about Phil Mickelson. Now, for a long time, Phil Mickelson and, and Tiger were like, Serena and Maria Sharapova. You know, like, they wasn't really a rivalry, but they were kind of linked together. Like, Serena always won, and Sharapova won every once in a while. That's kind of how it was with Tiger and Phil. Tiger won almost all the time, and Phil snuck in a couple here and there. But I saw this article about Phil Mickelson. It said, Phil Mickelson had I think $40 million. Let me repeat that. $40 million in gambling debt. You know how bad of a gambler you have to be to be $40 million in, in debt? And let me tell you something. If you have a $40 million gambling debt, you're dealing with people that aren't like on the up and up. And don't just take my word for it. This wasn't like just some random person saying that he had $40 million. This is the, like the feds. They like audited him. Well, why would the, you may ask, well, why were the feds messing around with Phil Mickelson? Well, that's because he was doing the inside of trading. You know, like Martha Stewart. And now he's in some deal with like the Saudis. And, you know, you get in bed with terrorists where you have $40 million in gambling debt. Should this be a bigger story than, or should it have been a bigger story than Tiger cheating with some blondes? I'm I, like, I just, you know, I don't know. I don't know. Just, just, just the way that we report on the news. It's interesting to me. And don't get me wrong, because I have to closely watch an algorithm for myself to make money. And when I say closely watch an algorithm, you have to, in, in my world, you have to really drill down what people on each platform like to read. What, pe what, what people like on Twitter is different than what people like on Facebook. 
what people like on Facebook is different what we put on Instagram or TikTok or YouTube. Like, so you have to really drill down. But with that being said, Phil Mickelson is literally a criminal. And he's been able to get away with it because he's white and rich. Like, people had a problem with the uh, series finale of Ozark. Spoilers ahead. Jump to the next segment if you haven't watched the end of Ozark. But I'm late, so you guys should have already watched it. Like, I know Netflix come out with all the... I don't, I, I don't have time. I got look, my, my baby's 17 months. I'm trying to run the site. I'm trying to go to some more events and stuff. I, it's hard for you to binge watch. I try to do it on the weekend, but now it's like the NBA playoffs and you try to get your family time in, but it is difficult. I have to watch it late at night. So, but this is just spoiler warning for Ozark. Now, if you don't know the premise to Ozark, you've never seen the show, this will give you a brief, a very, very brief uh, overview of the show, right? In the simplest terms possible. You have a white bread family, okay? Uh, Marty... Um, uh, and his wife, uh, Wendy, and his kids, Jonah, and whatever the other girl name is. I'm terrible with names, even when I watched the show for like 10 years. Anyway, they're a white bread family from Chicago. Marty's like a, uh, an accountant, and his, he has a partner. And his partner, he's, they're accountants, but, you know, they, they do a little fishy. They're a little fishy with the money, Right? Was his partner was working with this drug cartel, helping them launder money, and they were taking money off the top. <laughs> Not Marty, but his partner. Well, the cartel finds out, shoots the partner in the head, getting ready to shoot Marty. But Marty says, and you know, to try to save his life, look, I didn't have nothing to do with it, but I know a way that we can even launder, you know, more money um, and you know, stay off the feds' radar. And we can do that at the Lake of the Ozarks, Missouri. They can launder money there and nobody will ever notice. So he has to go take his wife who's been cheating on him. His two kids. He has to move them down to the Ozarks and they have to figure out how to uh, launder this money uh, for this drug cartel to stay alive. Now I'm just going to skip like all the seasons after that. That's the premise of the show. Once we get to the end of the show, to the end of the show, all the people that, all the poor people in the Ozarks that Marty is screwed over are either dead or have some issues. Marty and his family are almost out. They got the FBI working with the drug cartel and all of this stuff, right? The One of the last people or one of the first people that Marty came in contact with when he got to the Ozarks um, was a girl called Ruth, really smart girl. And everybody around Ruth is dead, except Ruth. She's made it out. She got some money now, you know, but one of the cartel people don't kill the cousin. And in a fit of rage, she killed one of the cartel bosses, okay? So at the end of the, end of the series, right, we're trying to figure out who's going to die on the last episode. You want somebody from Marty's family to die, preferably Wendy, because they're terrible people. She's been doing terrible things. She's been screwing people over. She's been got her own brother killed. Just, just not a good person at all. 
But the person that ends up getting killed at the end is Ruth, the poor girl. The girl that, you know, came up from the mud and looked like she was getting ready to do something for herself. And in the end, when it looks like they finally caught up with the the bird family, they all get away with it. They get away with all the murders, with all the laundering, with the cartel. They get away with it all. And people was pissed. You know why? Because people are predetermined to see the villains die at the end of shows like this, right? But this show is a little bit different, right? Because normally shows like, say, The Sopranos, right? You know, they're the mob, right? <laughs> so, you know, you wonder if something's going to happen to Tony, you know? Scarface, you know, they, 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 you know, these are all of the bad guys, right? Well, the bad guy, quote unquote, was the cartel. They were just a family, a white family, doing a lot of illegal things to get power. So they lived because they were the white bread family. In the end, they had the money, the power, and the connections to make all of these things, these bad things that they had done, go away had protection from the actual federal government. I thought it was a good microcosm of society, which brings us back to Phil Mickelson. White, he's rich, he's famous, he plays golf, so you know he has connections. <laughs> because if rich, golf, rich golfers are gonna have some connections. Kept him out of jail, got him out of debt, working with the Saudis. Tiger Woods though, like a porn star, we got to put him on the National Enquirer. We got to talk about him every single day on, on hot take shows. Doesn't sound fair, does it, right? Welcome to America. Keep the same energy. About not letting one person have so much control over your emotions, your self-worth, your self-esteem. Been getting a lot of questions about Stephen A. Smith. You know, Kyrie took a couple of shots at him. Stefan Marbury has been going at him. He needs J.J. Reddick to step in and, and take up for, for black athletes. People ask me about Stephen A. a lot. And I can't say that I like know the brother personally. I can say that I've met him a few times. He's very uh, soft-spoken in person. I know you may find it hard to believe, but it's true. Very polite in person, very nice uh, to people in person. And I say that because I want you to understand. I want you to understand where we are in the world of not just sports media, just media in general. It's not like it used to be. Uh, last week when I was in Vegas for the uh, the Shakur Stevenson Oscar Valdez fight, um, I forget where I was at. But um, well, I was also there for the draft. And I was talking to somebody, and I can't even remember who I was talking to. And we were just kind of talking and reminiscing, and 
we were talking about how long, respectively, we've been doing, you know, drafts and fights and stuff like that. And I remember he he mentioned Burt Sugar. For those that don't know, Burt Sugar is a was a boxing historian, one of the legendary boxing reporters. Uh, go look him up if you if you haven't heard of him before. But Burt was old school and in every traditional way when it came to media. I mean, we're talking like typewriter era media. You know, the way he wrote his stories, they were the traditional way people did media. You just told the facts. You tried to tell a story, a compelling story. And back then, when when Burt was alive, when I used to do boxing, you had a lot of newspaper guys that did boxing. You had the TV guys, you know, and and that's who covered the boxing. It was old school guys. I, I just remember because I was young. I was, you know, my I was in my mid late twenties. And I was always the youngest guy in the room. Cause these guys had been covering boxing for 30, 40 years, you know, like Ali Frazier guys. <laughs> you know, some Joe Lewis guys, Burt Sugar covered Joe Lewis. These were a traditional, you know, type out the story, no hyperbole, round by round type of journalist. And, you know, I go to a fight now, and I would say, to be honest with you, probably like 90% of the media that are there are either YouTubers um, or online media. You know, normally the only like broadcast television or the, the whoever's cut during the fight. And, you know, you may see a, a paper or two, but not many. These, and all of these guys are younger than me now. And I'm in my 40s. And they, these are guys are all younger than me now. I'm Burt Sugar, basically. I say that to say that it's a different time. It's a different era of media. If you look at boxing media, it's more about, it's not about technical and who throws the jab and how can he block the hook. It's, it's more drama field than anything else. And when you look at TV, sports media or sports television, it's entertainment now. And so when you look at someone like Stephen A. Smith, you have to look at him the same way you would look at Chris Rock <laughs> or, or Jamie Foxx. It's performance art. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's performance art. Now, it, it, the, way, the reason it gets dangerous is the same reason we talked about Kevin Samuel is that when you let someone have so much power of influence, they're performing, but people are taking it seriously. So even this is on a much bigger scale. So Stephen A. Smith says something that carries a lot of weight. But I don't necessarily think that he understands that. I think he understands that he's a celebrity. I think he understands that he's famous. I think he understands that he makes a lot of money. But I think he's in his own world of trying to perfect his performance art. He doesn't maybe realize 
what type of effect some of the things that he says has on people because he has that much power. Like he can, he has the power to change a narrative on an individual. Now he would probably say, hey, my job is not about changing narratives or 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 swaying one way or the other. My job is to get out there, entertain, tell it how I see it, do it in my way. That's what he learned from Skip. You know, these guys like Skip and Stephen A aren't really different than when they was coming up. Like I said, one of the first the first sports book I ever read was The Jordan Rules by Sam Smith, the Chicago Tribune. The second book, sports book I read was about the Dallas Cowboys. You know, the 90s Cowboys. That was by Skip Bayless. And the, the book wasn't, you know, wasn't authorized. Let's put it like that. So these guys have been doing this for a very long period of time. It's just now they have a different platform and a different outlet. Whereas before, you know, maybe they just had TV. Maybe they just had radio. Maybe they just had the print. Now they have social media. Skip has X amount of million followers. He don't follow anybody. But he can say one thing and get... Uh, a million engagement on it. It's performance art. Now, as a black man, do you have a bigger responsibility? You know, or, or is the responsibility just to yourself, your family, your friends, your close ones? This is what we just talked about. Like, if you're, if you're Stephen A. Smith, where's that line? Okay. Where's that line to say, you know something? If my, my people are happy, I'm happy, my family's happy, I have friends, who cares what we think, the general audience think? But where's that line to saying, hey, I also know that my voice carries. And I'm not just talking about in sound. And I need to think very clearly that when I say some of these things, it goes deeper than say Kyrie Irving or Colin Kaepernick. There's a trickle down effect to that. Or Kevin Durant or whatever it may be. Because those guys, here's the thing. He could talk about Kyrie, talk about Kevin Durant. They make millions of dollars, they'd be fine. But is there a deeper issue there? Do people hear that and they, they have certain connotations about black men, black people? I don't have the answer to that. I really don't. He's doing what he has to do in his job. Does that make him a puppet? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it does. But that's not unusual. Because there's always somebody above you making more money off of you. So he sings and dances. The ratings go up. He makes a lot of money. His bosses make a lot of money. They bosses like it. They make a lot of money. So, yeah, in a, in a way, that is puppeteering. You know, Shannon Sharp works for Fox. The same Fox that bought out OutKick. But is he supposed to quit his job because of that and lose his voice? That's why it's difficult when, when people ask me questions about this. Like, we, you know, I could say a lot more. 
I could seriously, I could I could make two tweets right now about anybody in media and they would go viral and start a big argument. But is that helping or changing anything? Or is it just two black people arguing? For, you know, we're dancing for them. We we we're we're, we're hotepping for them. We tap dancing for them. They laughing at us. Look at them again, fighting with each other. I don't want that. And that's why I've, I've stopped engaging in those type of conversations. You know, I do the stories, but you won't see me talking about it too much. And last thing, because I know people are going to ask me, just in general, because I am sort of a detective. You know, do I think there was any funny business with Kevin Samuels? The reason why is that he, he met some chick at the bar or whatever. Looks like they had relations, and she's a nurse, and then the next day, you know, he has you know, chest pains, and that's it. I mean, you never know. Things have to be investigated. I'm sure there's going to be a toxicology report. But, you know, in general, you want to be careful with just if you just meet somebody and just have them coming over your house. Just in general, just so you know. Especially if you're famous. I wouldn't advise it. There was one thing that Kevin Samuels said, which I think um, is important. Once again, like I told you guys at the beginning, you can always parse things out. Yeah, he he was a little cruel, and he can be demeaning, and I can see all that. But one thing is that we as a people need to value each other more. We need to value ourselves more. We need to see ourselves in a better light. We need to hold ourselves more accountable and in a better light. I do think that's important. And, you know, you never know what your legacy is going to be when you pass away. And you don't know when that day is going to be. You know, I only hope, you know, when I pass away, you guys say some nice things about me. I'm sure there'll be other people that won't say such nice things about me, but that's just how it goes. But as a people, we have to start treating each other better. We have to start seeing the bigger picture, the bigger goal. And we have to understand that we aren't the enemy. <laughs> you know, the enemy is staring at us in the face and they don't look like us. And until we get that mentality that, you know, all of us are different, but we're all black. You know what I mean? We all gonna have different thoughts, different values, different beliefs. But in the end, we're all black. And we need to stick together or we'll never get out of this hole that they continually are putting dirt in. I appreciate you listening. Please follow me on Twitter at BSO, Facebook, Black Sports Online, Instagram and YouTube, B-S-O-T-V. Big shout out to ABF Creative for helping put this podcast together. I'm out.